Union for some time talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of His dear Son. Colossians chapter 1 says that God has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So since we're kingdom men and kingdom women, if you're born again, that's who you are, then one thing we've got to realize, kingdom men and kingdom women get married, and when they get married, they have a kingdom marriage. But so many times we miss out on things that God wants us to have in that marriage because of a failure to understand that marriage is just more than just two people living together. There's a whole lot more to it than that. And when we think about marriage, uh, what we want to talk about today is the principle of one. One. You say, well, isn't there two people involved in a marriage? Yes, we are. They are. And we'll talk about that as we go along. Open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go back. Last week, we ended up helping us understand that God's number one priority was to have an intimate, personal, eternal relationship with, with the man that he had made. And then, because of that, our number one priority is to have an intimate, personal relationship with Almighty God. And the reason that we're to do that is because we're made in God's likeness and God's image. Whatever, whatever God looks at and sets as a priority, because I'm in His likeness and in His image, then I need to set that same thing as a priority. So God's number one priority was to have an intimate, personal, eternal relationship with his man that he had created. And then his number two priority, uh, I'm just going to share this scripture with you, we're not going to look at it right now, was he told Adam that it's not good for you to be alone. He looked at everything that he had made, and right in the middle of everything he made being good, God looked and said, it's not good for you to be alone, so I am going to make you a helpmeet. Uh, a word that has often been misunderstood, but it simply means I'm going to make someone like you to help you the way I've made you like me to help me. So we find in Genesis 1 that God made them male and female. Now get a hold of that. He made them male and female. He didn't make them... God didn't create two Adams, okay? He didn't create two Eves. He made them male and female for a specific purpose. And so he made Eve, we know that story, how that he caused the sleep to come on Adam. And that's something that I tell people, and, and listen to me, young people, you got to get this in you. Anybody that's not married, you're single today, let me tell you something. You need to get the Adam mentality. Adam looked around. There was nobody. He had nothing except a whole world full of animals. But he had nobody to be his helpmeet. Nobody that looked like him, that was like him, or anything. And what did he do? He just rested in God, and God caused the sleep to come on him. Now, that, let me tell you what that tells me. That Adam committed it to God, and God caused the peace to come on Adam. A peace that was so tremendous that, that he trusted God. God did surgery on him and brought him the person that he wanted Adam to have. Now, let me tell you something, folks. If you're single, you know, I, I was thinking this morning, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he said that if you're, uh, if you're loosed, seek not a mate. And, and what he meant by that, I, I don't believe he didn't mean don't ever get married. He just meant this, trust God. Trust God. 
Let God take care of the situation. If it's God's desire for you to stay single, then God will take care of the situation. And if it's God's desire for you to marry, God will take care of the situation. But when we say the word seek, that brings us out to the term of dating, dating for years, dating multiple people and all of these kind of things, to where that we enter into relationship, break relationship, enter in, break, enter in, break, enter in, break, to the point to where we get to where when we do come to that person that God wants us to have to be with, we're carrying a whole bunch of baggage and we've done got things messed up in our mind. And I know I'm old-fashioned, but y'all just bear with me. You've got to love me anyway, okay? Even if I am old-fashioned. Uh, 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 little old-fashioned stuff don't hurt. I believe, and I wish somebody had a in my head this whenever I was growing up. Of course, I'd have probably not liked it any more than you, but at least I would have heard it. I believe that we'd, that young people, single people, would be a lot better off if they never dated until they come across the person that God wants them to marry. You say, well, how will you know that without dating? There's nothing in Genesis chapter 2 about Adam and Eve dating. Do you know that it's, that it's not even alluded to in the Old Testament concept of marriage? Or let me say this, in the biblical concept of marriage. Dating in the sense that we see it today. So, uh, that said, and I hope you all still love me. You young people still love me? Do you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, listen to what he's got to say, huh? And all the parents said, Amen. He brought Eve to Adam. And, and as we begin reading in chapter 2, verse 20, and, uh, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in him and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. I've always been intrigued. All other translations leaves out this term, closed up the flesh instead thereof. But I like it, and I'm going to tell you why I like it. Because instead of God fixing Adam back complete, he did something else instead, and he made a woman and brought her to Adam, and Adam was not complete without Eve. Okay. And the rib which the Lord God had made from taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. One. Come on, say one. Principle. Say this with me. Principle of oneness is unity. Okay. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, in the heart of the very first marriage is this principle of oneness or of unity. And, and uh, this is something that we need to get a hold of because Jesus said later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, that He said, And Jesus knew their thoughts, talking about the scribes and Pharisees, and he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself 
shall be brought to desolation. Listen to this. And every house divided against itself shall not stand. Now he, you, Pastor, what are you talking about? The church? Well, I'm going to tell you something. The more I've studied this, I see verses in the Bible that we have assigned to one area that can also apply to our homes, can apply to our marriages. And we're going to see in a minute that every Scripture, and I, I, I went back and I, I didn't get them all, but I pulled out about ten Scripture that talks about our relationship with each other as Christian brothers and sisters better apply to husband and wife before they do brothers and sisters. If they don't, then we're being a little bit... Well, there's a word that starts with H. What's that? Hypocrite. Yeah, thank you. Now, Pat said that, not me, okay? Now, y'all don't... <laughs> I wouldn't shift blame off on anybody. <laughs> every house, every house, where the husband and wife are not working together in unity... It's not going to stand. It's going to fall. And as Jesus said in, in another place in Matthew, and, and great is the fall thereof. So we want to talk about that oneness. But I want to come back to this thought about every Scripture that applies to our, our Christian life and in every way applies, I believe, first of all, to husband and wife. More important that it apply to husband and wife. And like I said, I picked out about ten Scriptures I want to go through Pretty quick, he's going to put them up on the board. The first one is found in Romans 14.1, and I'm going, to, I'm going to do a little change in here on these Scriptures, if you'll just bear with me, and I believe it'll be okay with the Holy Spirit. I believe I have his mind on that. Him, husband or wife, that is weak in the faith, receive ye, husband and wife, but not to doubtful disputation. Romans 15, verses 1 and 2. We, husband or wife, that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak husband or wife, and not to please ourselves as husbands and wives. Let every one of us, husbands and wives, please his husband and wife for his good to edification. You see where I'm coming from on this now? See, we, these Scriptures, we talk about church, our Christian relationship, and we need to. But folks, we need to use it at home more than we need to use it anywhere else. we got some others. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, or husbands and wives, if a man, or husband or wife, be overtaken in a fault, ye, husband and wife, which are spiritual, restore such in one, husband or wife, in the spirit of weakness, considering thyself, husband or wife, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye, husband or wife, one another's husband or wife, burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your husband or wife mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, it may minister grace unto the husband or wife. Boy, that'd change a whole lot of conversations, wouldn't it? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Let me say this. When, when you as a man talk hateful and spiteful to your wife, or you as a wife talk hateful and spiteful to your husband, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. 
whereby we're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, husband and wife, with all malice. Malice is when you get angry and want to start hitting. And do start hitting. And be ye husband and wife, kind one to another husband or wife, tenderhearted, forgiving one another husband and wife, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you husband or wife. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. Now this is a toughie here. Lie not one to another husband or wife, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Boy, y'all sure have got quiet. It's, it's something when stuff applies to us individually, how it makes it different than when it applies to the whole body, doesn't it? We're not through yet. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, husband and wife, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, husband and wife, and forgiving one another, husband and wife, if any man, husband or wife, have a quarrel against any husband or wife, even as Christ forgave you, husband or wife, so also do you, husband or wife, and above all these things put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, husband and wife, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye, husband and wife, thankful. Now, this is one that, I couldn't help but get in this while I was right there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against me. Wow. And I remembered when I read that, had her, I've come across this word bitter, bitterness before. And it was back over in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And he said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So that, that interested me. So I, I looked up that word bitter over in Colossians. It means to be made bitter. That's what it's talking about. Be not bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them, it says in Colossians 3.19. Don't let what they do make you bitter toward them. Well, now, wait a minute, preacher. That's not fair. Well, you know, I'm not through with this yet. Sometimes people live together and together all the time. It's hard. I realize that. It's hard, but it's not impossible to keep from being bitter. And there's Scripture that talks about that. said if you get angry, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down without making it right. That means, men, if she aggravates you in the morning... You got all day long to get over it. But get over it somewhere else. <laughs> because if you get bitter, then you're going to come back to Ephesians 4.29, or, or let me right here, and where it says that all bitterness there, the word bitterness carries with it the thought of making something acidic by adding something to it or putting poison in it. 
And it's the same way. Women, if he rubs you wrong and you fly back at him, then you're not doing nothing but putting poison into a bad situation and bitterness is going to rule the day. Let me tell you something, guys. All of you look at me. Mean if you want to. You've got a responsibility to see that bitterness does not rule and reign in your home. You've got a God-given regal responsibility that when situations come up, that you find out a solution to it and work that thing out to where that bitterness don't last in your home. If you do, it's going to ruin your whole relationship. It'll ruin everything. It'll ruin your day all day long and, and at night. And, and a lot of times, if you're going to dwell on something all day long and not do nothing about it, you're going to carry it to bed with you that night too. Now, that goes for men and women together now, not just men. But, men, I'm telling you, we've got a responsibility. And next Sunday, I'm going to talk about a fourfold responsibility that husbands have in this kingdom marriage. So all of you wives, make sure your husband's at church next Sunday. Whether you make it or not, make sure they're here, okay? And we may have all the husbands sit in one place so the wives can't nudge them and, and say, he's talking to you. No, we're not going to do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Here's, here's an important thing. Wherefore, comfort you, yourselves, husbands and wives, together. Comfort. You know there's times that, that things happen. Things will happen in the day. Things will happen with the children. Things will happen at work. Things, things will happen in extended family relationships. Now, there's so many things that can happen to cause one of the married partners to not be up and at it. Situations can come up. Things can be said. And a loving, caring spouse will do what they can to comfort that other one instead of looking at them and saying, suck it up, buttercup, and get over it. Man, I'm sorry, but it seemed like that's the attitude that so many of us have here in the South because of, I call it that Bubba factor that wants to get down on us, you know. And, and then women, <laughs> they'll come back and say, why don't you grow up? I'm not your mama. <laughs> wow, I didn't know I was hitting a nerve. <laughs> Better get me a drink of water. There's situations. There's situations when people need to be comforted instead of instructed. Do you hear what I said? We got time for instruction later, but if my wife's heart broke over some situation, then I need to help be a comfort to her and share the, my love and the love of God and, and share the Holy Spirit who's the comforter with her. And if there's instruction, needs going, we can take care of that later. But if she's brokenhearted, I don't, I don't need to come in there and say, well, look, you ought not to be so tender about everything. No. Hey, that's her. She's tender. So, so here he said this, comfort yourselves together. Now, he's talking about the coming of Christ. He's talking about the rapture here. But, but we bring this down to a situation with husbands and wives that need to learn how to comfort one another. And then 
edify one another. You know what edify means, don't you? It means to build up. There's, there's a lot of ways that we can build each other up. We can build each other up by encouraging words, kind acts, doing things that are nice. There's nothing wrong with doing things that are nice for your wife. You do nice things for other people. Nothing wrong with doing nice things for your husband because you do nice things for other people. You say nice things to other people. You'll be nice to other people if it, it, regardless of what's going on. You'll be nice to them and come home and get mad at the person that you live with. <clears throat> James chapter 4, verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, Brethren, it says here, husband and wife. He that speaketh evil of his husband and wife judgeth his husband or wife and speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, that last part of that verse is relevant to the Bible. It's relevant to the teaching. But it's not relevant to where we are right here. If there's something going on between me and my wife, I need to talk to me and my wife about it and to God. I don't need to run my wife down. I don't, she don't need to run me down. I don't believe she does. I hope she don't. Does she? Does she when y'all are together in y'all's little group? <laughs> when, when we listen for each other, and I'm trying, I'm trying to instruct us now. Listen to me. I'm trying to instruct us. Us. I go back to what he said in Ecclesiastes, or Song of Solomon, rather, chapter 4, verse 7, I believe it is. He looks at that beautiful lady. And according to the Scripture, she was really beautiful, sort of like I feel like my wife is. I could go back and look at her, and I've read a lot of Song of Solomon to her. But in that Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. You think, well, he's not married to who I'm married to. Thank God for that. But see, it's what I'm talking about. Thought finding and then telling other people. We don't need to be doing that. And listen, we need to look at our, our spouse and look at them and knowing that they're not perfect, but then when you look at your spouse and know they're not perfect, turn around and look in the mirror. See how perfect that one is. And then come back, and in the grace of God and the love of God, look and say, I know this situation's here, and I know this has been going on. Don't you know I love you, and I care for you, and as far as I'm concerned, I find no fault in thee. I find no spot in thee. And, and, and you say... Preacher, you're, you're living in a dream world. It's the Word of God, folks. I'm not making it up. It's the Word of God. And, and, it's, and it's good. Marriage was not meant to be a battle royal. And if it's not meant to be a battle royal, you don't need to take it out on a pay-per-view. What I mean by that, telling everybody in the world about it. Okay? Then one other scripture, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all these things. Now he's talked about a bunch of other stuff up there, but we bring it into the concept of marriage. Above all these things have fervent charity or genuine 
sincere love among yourselves, husbands and wives. For love, boy, now here's, here's a whole mouthful right here. Love shall cover the multitude of sins. If she wanted to find fault with me, she could start early in the morning most days. But here's here's what I receive from her. You're the best. You're wonderful. You're great. That's what I hear. And that's what I share with her. Have we got the perfect marriage? Well, no, but we're still working on it. All right? We're still practicing this thing. We're still working on it. And and whenever we leave this earth, we're still going to be working on our marriage. We're never going to get to the point where we say, well, we got it made. There's no need going on any further. We just got it. No, we haven't. You haven't. Being married a long time don't mean that you're uh, uh, trouble-proof or divorce-proof. I read not long ago of a couple that got divorced after on their right the day after their 50th wedding anniversary. What sense does that make? And then I read also the other day of a of a woman that her and her husband and this is on the other end of the thing, it's the beginning of it down here. They had they had gotten married, had a nice wedding, went to the hotel for their honeymoon, went there, and they got in a disagreement and she pulled a gun on him. Well, that marriage ended right then. It was empty, but she later loaded and shot a hole in the ceiling above her, and that's the reason they found out about it. <laughs> what makes me think I married the wrong person, right? <laughs> Here's your sign. All of these things that we've talked about that have to do with our relationship with one another needs to begin in the home. Now, I want to talk for a few minutes. Oneness is not sameness. Understand that. Oneness is not sameness. See, like I said earlier, when God made them, He made them male and female. And and in case you may not understand this, there's a difference. There's not only a difference between men and women, but there's a difference between men. And there's a difference between women. No two women are alike. No two men are alike. And so we're made... Different. But we're made different for a purpose. Because, listen, if in my home all we liked was what I like, and if all we did was what I wanted to do, one of us would be having a bored life. Right? So we're not, we're not uh, made the same. We're made different. But these two that God made different, like I shared with you earlier, God brought them together and he made them one. He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one. And I know it goes ahead and says flesh there. But he brought them together in one. And that's, that's the, the concept that we've got to get in our mind now. It's like a, like a football team. Now you think about this with me for a minute. You take 11 players and put out there, and if they all try to play quarterback... That's going to be a mess, isn't it? Put nine players on a softball field and all of them try to pitch. That's not going to work. Five uh, players out on a basketball court and all of them try to jump center. 
you see, each one of them has individual differences. On a football team, that tackle playing here does not think like the quarterback back here. Now, I never played quarterback, but I played tackle. And I didn't think about taking the ball from between a man's legs and giving it to somebody else or throwing the ball. I didn't. But I knew that for him to do that successfully, that I had to block this guy in front of me right here. I had to, I had to keep him from getting to him because if I jumped up here and all of a sudden acted like I'm playing quarterback and my quarterback's over here, this guy's just going to knock him down and going to tackle him. So when we talk about oneness, those 11 men become one team. They become a unified body. And when they get to that point, then they're, they're able to win and, and to go out and, and to be a team and, and have that unity and everybody doing their part. And so that's the way it is in, in, a, in a marriage relationship. Marriage relationship is not a solo. Is this little folks in your bulletin there in case you didn't read it? Marriage relationship is not a solo, but it's a duet, both playing the same song. So that's important for us to understand, you see. See, let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, the last scripture we're going to look at here for a few minutes. Here again, scriptures that relate to other part of the Christian life relate to the home and what God is trying to help us understand. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. I want you to remember that verse 2. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, in this passage of Scripture, the word one, is used eight times. And, and then the word unity is used. And the word unity is actually comes from a word that is akin to the same word for one. And if you looked up the word unity in the Greek language, it would have one of its definitions as oneness. Oneness. And so uh, when we think about being one and moving together, even though we have different personalities. See, my wife's quiet and gentle. I'm loud and ungentle. I don't know the word for it, so I'll just say ungentle, okay? <laughs> and, and so, you know, we're different. But together, and when we bring those differences together, we become one. And you know what? When we come together as one, she's still quiet and gentle most of the time. I'm still loud and ungentle most of the time. But we flow together as one because, because then we're complete in that and where gentleness needs to be, there's gentleness and where loudness needs to be, there's loudness. But together we, we accomplish that. But we, we work together with different personalities, different abilities. You see, I, I've got ability to grow a garden. She's got ability to cook the food. And she does a good job with it, too. Not just that, she has a lot 
of other abilities. See, we're, and we're to work this way. When I, when I was called to preach back in, well, actually, the third Saturday night in this month would be 49 years ago. Yeah, 48 years ago. I'll get it right in a minute. 48 years ago. Well, I'd preach for a few weeks, and a lady told me, she said, well, well, uh, Brother David said, until you get married, there's churches that you won't be able to preach in because they don't believe in single preachers. I said, listen, I, I've done read enough in the Bible where it said to abide in the calling wherein God has called you. And I, I've done learned that scripture, you know, because I wasn't concerned about this thing about being single. I just sort of, I didn't know I was doing it, but I just said, well, you know, God's going to take care of this. Because I said to her, I said, she was my great aunt, I said, ain't Ollie May? God called me to preach single. And I'm going to stay single until God gets ready for me to get married. And when he gets ready for me to get married, he'll send somebody for me to marry. And I won't wonder about it for, for months and months and months. And I said, not only that, but it'll be somebody that will stand by me and support me in my ministry. Well, God, bill to bill, I, I, I guess that was my going to sleep and God doing his thing because that was in September. I met her in October. Uh, end October, we started dating in November, got engaged in December and got married the following March. So God did a quick work. And uh, so anyhow, somebody say, You see, preacher, Pastor, Pastor and Miss Carol didn't date but a couple of months, and they got married. Now, no, no, I'm not using this for an example of that. I'm using this for an example of letting God take care of your situation. Okay? There's altogether a difference. Let God take care of your situation. And here's what I'm saying. Because of what she brought into me and what I brought into her, I believe that together we've had somewhat a successful ministry for God. And it's because we've worked together and she's supported. She did the thing that, that, that I asked of God or the faith that I stated. And, and, and because of that, she has been fulfilled in her life. And, and, uh, and, and people rise up and call her blessed. And I think I have a little part of that. And people call me blessed, and she has a part of that. So what I'm saying is this, we, we work together to move together in unity. Not sameness, because there's no way that we could ever be the same. But we, we brought that uniqueness of her and uniqueness of me together to where we could be one together. How's your unity in your home? Back up in that chapter 2, or verse 2 rather, he lists some things, and if y'all don't mind me doing this, uh, I look for some way to present this, and, and I found this in, in Brother Tony Evans' book. Uh, he's a pretty good preacher if you ever get a chance to listen to him. But I want, I want to share this with you about a gauge to check your unity in your home. Okay? Humility. That's lowliness. Humility. Are you willing in the interest of unity to submit your desires, no matter how good, to God's purpose in your marriage? Or is it always what I want? Are you willing to serve your mate? Now, this gets tough. Are you willing to serve your mate looking out for his or her interest above your own? That's humility. Lowliness. That's looking and preferring your mate before yourself. And the Bible tells us to prefer our brother before us. 
Then he talked about gentleness. That's meekness, gentleness. Here's, a, here's some pretty tough stuff, so if you we're checking your unity. Are you argumentative with your mate about nearly everything that comes up? Do you find yourself responding with anger when your agenda is challenged? What is your first unfiltered response when your mate wrongs you? We're talking about gentleness now. Meekness, gentleness. And then he said long-suffering. We talked patience here. Are you willing to wait on God's work through His Spirit in the life of your mate? Are you willing to wait? If your mate, your spouse is not where you think they need to be, are you willing to just pray and believe God and let the Holy Spirit work on that? Or are you going to preach to them all the time? See, husbands call it preaching, griping, grumbling. I mean, if they do it, if a wife does it, it's nagging. Years ago, Loretta used to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you show David not to do that? Holy Spirit, would you talk to David about that? And you know what? The Holy Spirit would. And I'd change, and I found out she'd been praying for the Holy Spirit to deal with me about that. And she was waiting patiently. Do you find yourself impatient with the slowness of change in your mate's life? We don't get aggravated at a Christian brother or sister in the slowness of their changing and developing in their Christian life. So why should I get that way with my mate? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Patience is rewarded when we stay with it. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Have you? Or have you been preaching and preaching and preaching and nagging and nagging and nagging? Can you wait on the spirit and the discernment of your marriage partner before making the change or starting a new interest? Or you just jump up and do it on your own? And then forbearing one another in love, that's tolerance. Do you insist on things being done your way? No matter how I think these things out loud. Can you allow for the diversity of ways and means that the Spirit works through other people, especially your spouse? Do you work well? This is a tough one here. Do you work well when your mate's preferences conflict with your own? With these challenges before us and this gauge to check the unity in our marriage, the oneness there, I want to leave you with this last remark. We've got to remember, people, that we are a fallen people living in a fallen world, married to fallen not what I'm talking about, mankind. We've all got growing and learning and moving to do. 
But it's time that we begin to make up our mind that we're going to do this. Let me tell you something. My goal and Loretta's goal in marriage to have the best marriage possible didn't start yesterday. I was sharing with somebody the other day this talking about uh, husbands and wives, and I, I told them, I said, well, we're just sort of like newlyweds at our house. And they said, oh, real? How long have you been married? And I said, 47 years. And that's the way we look at it. We're still thrilled about being married. Thrilled about this thing. The whole idea of being together and being married. We're the whole, I mean, every part of it, the spiritual, the mental, and, and on down, we're still thrilled about the fact that here, after 47 years, going on 48, that we're still together. We're, we're thrilled about that. And this girl said, well, we've only been married five years. I said, let me tell you something. There was a time in our life that we were married only five years. I said, but then it was 10 years. Then it was 20 years. Then it was 40 years. I said, you've got to start somewhere where you are. Let me, let me say this to you. Where you are today, don't let that be the stopping point. Let that be the starting point. And move from there determined, hey, I'm going to do my part to bring oneness and unity to my marriage. And I'm going to pray for my mate to do the same thing. I'm not going to push them. I'm not going to preach to them. I'm not going to run over them. I'm not going to, but I'm going to pray for them and encourage them in the Lord to do the same thing. Now, folks, I'm telling you, God will honor that and God will bless it.